0: Welcome to the Call to Action Podcast, where we bring you incredible people and even more incredible stories with discussions and topics about what it takes to sacrifice everything to overcome hardships and failures to achieve success. Our guests heard the call. Now, it's your turn. Our next guest is an entrepreneur who helps companies build awesome software engineer teams. He runs Superstruct, an LA-based consultancy specializing in building in-house engineering teams for tech startups. He's the VP of Engineering at Outlier, pivoting college education into an affordable, high-quality online educational platform. He's worked and led teams at Disney and AT&T. He's a notable author of multiple books on software engineering, podcast host called Junior to Senior, where he interviews tech professionals and dives deep into how CTOs and devs and leadership roles operate and put together successful technologies, and the community organizer of JSLA JavaScript Los Angeles, a couple thousand member strong tribe surrounding one of the most effective internet technologies that powers many of the platforms we use in our everyday lives. He's the engineers' engineer, an undeniable talented artist, and his code is more beautiful than Dan Bilzerian's fifty-nine girlfriends. Okay, okay, maybe just as gorgeous, but regardless, please welcome our next guest to the show: the man, the myth, the legend, David Gutman. Thanks for coming on, man.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. That was uh, that was quite an intro. Is that were you talking about me? Am I in the right place? <laughs>
0: I'm pretty sure (laughs) before we jump into kind of why we have you on the call to action podcast here. And just like high performing athletes warm up their bodies before a big show, we're going to put you through a prefrontal cortex warm-up like you've never experienced. It's called the brain freeze frenzy. It's a wild array of random rapid fire questions just to break the ice. Are you ready?
1: Super ready.
2: All right. What is one of the best things you've learned about yourself during quarantine?
1: um oh i mean i i guess i probably would have known this before but but now i really know i am really well suited to quarantine the the focus on remote and the way that i had my life set up um i can handle it way better than i think 99 percent of people out there um i'm not sure if that's a good thing but definitely definitely (laughs) learn that
0: that is that's awesome that's <laughs> awesome man i i would probably agree with you right there man i thought i'd i'd be handling it much more poorly than i am and i'm like this ain't that bad man just waking <laughs> up rolling right into the office going to the bathroom coming back eating like working out it's all here man i don't gotta do anything <laughs> deal with traffic we, in la screw that yeah man we've been on this game for a bit we yeah, split I mean, it up
1: in, yeah in particular so jsla i I, you know, my, my, uh, JavaScript meetup, I, I totally miss in person. I, I, yes. it's it, like a lot. There's like a lot missing, no doubt. However, <laughs> I do not miss having to drive to Santa Monica or Venice. I'm on the East Side. I don't, I don't miss having to drive across town at 5 p.m., I don't miss like paying for speaker no, travel. Sir. Having a big AV team, I yep. kind of like having it online. There are some advantages, and, and I think there's a lot of things like that. But, you know, on the other hand, I'm, I'm going to be real happy once this is all over. Yeah, One hundred percent. this
2: in person, and on that, we'd love to have you back. Yeah.
0: That'd be cool. Sure. So, on the topic we were just talking about before we hit that old record button, what's your favorite video game, and has your gaming consumption increased over this last year?
1: Oh man, so the the only game I think I'm really playing right now is Valorant. Um I, yeah, I was uh, we were talking about this um, you know, I play with the the Outlier team uh every week. Um man, yeah, that's really interesting cuz I hated it at first. I was so bad. Um and I think it's just you know, there's there's something about embracing failure and and recognizing that as, <laughs> even in games, just recognizing that hey, there's this opportunity for growth.
0: It's uh, competitive, man. I mean, yeah. there's no doubt about it. It's a it's a different type of competition. I was actually just having a conversation with uh, one of my best friends about this and uh, like, are video games good or bad for you? Mm. You know, and uh, I man, I come from an athletic background and uh It's kind of transitioning into... This gaming because I broke my back, had a couple back surgeries. I've had to calm oh, yeah. it down a little bit. So um, I actually had one three months ago, my second one. So I'm you know I'm just trying to get back in slowly, be a little smarter. And man, the video games they, I my palms are sweating, my armpits are sweating. Yeah. You know I get so into it and I'm yelling. My wife's telling me to shut up in the other room, and it's it's crazy, man. It's crazy, but it's a it's a load of fun. It's a load yeah, of fun. So Do you play? I, uh,
1: yeah, I Xbox follow. Uh, um, PS5 speed, uh, uh speed runners. so they you know they they kind of race or they you know they they stream trying to beat games as quickly as possible and what's funny is I, I think a number of them will wear heart rate monitors while they're <laughs> playing so that people who are watching their stream can can see that and That's smart. um for particularly hard levels like if they're playing Mario 64 or something like that yeah. their heart rate yeah. shoots up to as if they oh, are uh, like Training. running on the track like it's, oh yeah.
2: It's no joke. Yeah, Mario 64 is my jam. <laughs> Dope. All right, number 3. Morning routine. Go.
1: Um man, my so I just uh just had my first kid, my son, uh and that has completely changed my morning routine. So, my old morning routine used to be uh wake up uh write for, you know, maybe you know, 20 minutes, half an hour uh jump on the treadmill smoothie, uh, meditate, and then kind of like start the, start the day. Um, that has all gone out the window. I don't do any of that <laughs> any, anymore. Uh, the one thing that I have kept is, is journaling. So wake up journaling and then, and then like shower, start the day. So I kept the smoothie, the kale smoothies are still, still in there.
0: Nice. Way to do it. Uh, So being the community meetup organizer for JSLA and having to deal with thousands of people, literally, have you ever had to kick a member out for being crazy or had a crazy moment with a member?
1: Uh, Yeah, thankfully, it doesn't happen very often. Um, There are really I think there's only one person we have to expel from the community. And that was because some people really don't know how to behave themselves, and uh, <laughs> if you are in JSLA and you think it's cool to hit on a speaker to the point that she's uncomfortable enough to, <laughs> to uh, complain to us, and this is the second time that you've had an issue, like oh. we are, we're gonna, we're gonna get rid of you real fast. So nice. you get you get one warning, and then if you do something like that, you're you're out. Um, but other than that, people are people are generally
2: great. Yeah, cool. healthy a lot of nerds over there <laughs> if you could get drunk or high with anyone in history who would it be and why um i think probably like Feynman.
1: like richard Feynman seems like mm-hmm. he'd be like pretty fun um like I, I i think there's also you know maybe like albert einstein like there's so much of like a like a mythos around him it'd be like cool to see like okay who's the real like Albert Einstein, I don't know. Th- those are the two that come to mind. I feel like I typically fail that question. of like, man, you could like <laughs> hang out with anyone. Who would it be? And be like, oh, I don't know.
0: well this one has the later you know layered aspect of getting drunk or high so at least you know you're kind of breaking down their kind of first initial layer of uh uncomfortability in a way it's like let's let's get right to the root of who you are let's let's break the barriers and uh, tell me all the nitty-gritties you know (laughs) yeah i like that a lot yeah
1: probably you know and like Feynman, like playing the bongos i mean that'd be a good time
0: that'd be cool the old roach. So, uh, what has been one excellent and one shitty piece of leadership advice you've been given <laughs> over your lifetime that this I've one's been always given? always pretty funny. Yes.
2: Go far with this one, man. It's um.
1: I mean, Start I'm like try- the good. yeah, like I'm trying. I'm trying to find like. I guess. It- it's like not that shitty, but the the one that I always struggle with is it's it's like in the form of of like this joke where I think it's something along the lines of like a like a general or a commander or something like that where he's 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 scared he doesn't want to be on the front lines he doesn't want to go over to like the enemy and so someone's like well why are you like going over there and it's like well you know I gotta I gotta of course I have to be the one that like leads you know that's where that's basically that's where my army's going so i have to go there to lead them and so it's kind of a joke about like are you actually a leader if you're following your your men right like you're you're the follower and so it's this idea that like you have to figure out where your team is going so that you can be like ah yes this is where we're going and and like i think there's like some truth to that like you have to you have to understand where your team is thinking, like what they want to do so that you can provide opportunities to do that for them. But on the other hand, it's like the worst leadership advice ever, because you're not really a leader. So it's like a really like convoluted thing where I'm like, Oh, it's this advice. That's kind of a joke. But I think it wraps well, here's,
0: up like dichotomy. Though I'll throw in a wrench for you. Yeah, some of the best leaders need to learn how to follow though, don't you think?
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think there's that that term, servant leadership, Um, and I think that's super important, right? That like the idea that that you are there to to unlock and and unblock your people so that they can do their their best work is so important. Um, But there's also this like part where also need to know what the destination is like you have to be super clear on what that future state is and i think that's probably where that joke
2: goes goes awry for sure otherwise everyone just runs off a cliff <laughs> <laughs> we, we've seen it in the engineering community so many times <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and
0: then one brilliant piece of leadership advice so maybe you were given at an early stage in your career or life and it kind of stuck with you and Build the pillars and foundation that led you to where you are today. Um, If any, <laughs> maybe you've just done it and gone with it and grinded. I don't know. That could be just as good.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, man, it's 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 kind of tough. Like, like I, you know, I read a lot of management books, leadership books, things like that. I. Th- Unfortunately, I feel like they all kind of meld together, and I won't be able to pull out the the exact idea. I, I think, I think for, for me the the kind of the biggest thing with leadership is kind of what I, I alluded to before, and I'm not going to have a pithy one liner, but but the <laughs> the it's almost like the strongest frame wins, and so like if in your head you have it very clear about what that end state is that's ultimately what matters most. And a lot of people don't. A lot of people don't know where they're going. They, they you know, they, it, it's really fuzzy and they don't like to think about it. And, and probably the most important thing with leadership is really visualizing that destination and doing what you can to, to get everybody rowing at the, the same time, hitting those beats or at least rowing in the same direction. Um, and, and sometimes that's where, <laughs> that's where the I guess the maximum is, it's better to have like a plan uh, even if it's the wrong plan, because at least you can get everybody moving together. Uh, of course, I, I have some issues with that because maybe it's sometimes better standing still than to run in the wrong direction. But that's a deeper conversation.
0: Right. Yeah. Isn't that the truth? So, yeah, man, you've led, you know, big tech startups and, and built big teams. What What are some of the biggest changes that you've seen over the past five to 10 years in the tech startup space?
1: Oh, well, I mean... I guess this is probably closer to that. Yeah, that five years ago, maybe a little bit longer. But um, one of the, you know, one of the, the companies, it was a video ad serving platform, and you know, we were able to serve like over ten billion requests a day, um, you know, over the holiday season. So like that that number of requests, like we were able to do without our own servers, we could do it completely on Amazon, and and that that's insane. That's like, it's such a big change that, that you can operate at that scale and your sysadmin DevOps infrastructure part is not really what you have to focus on. You can just focus on acquiring that scale and not, not so much handling it. Now, of course, you know, you layer all the things on top of it. You know, we had real time analytics and there are things that you do want to keep under control, but the idea that that a company can can operate at that level that that wasn't possible i don't think that was possible 10 years ago i don't think that was possible you know 15 years ago that's that's kind of now and and yeah, the biggest the, the biggest change that i keep seeing is it's sort of that same like you know it's the same song just like a different verse it's 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 the back end's kind of disappearing in a lot of ways you don't really there's 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 a startup that i was um talking to about working with they have they're they're like insanely successful they have no back end it's just like yeah. to the extent that they have a back end it's like firebase or something like that
2: yeah all cloud services
0: yeah so for and, yeah. the listeners who don't quite no, oh. you know, because we have a wide range. Yeah, yeah. I just want to put that out. We have a wide range of of listeners who, you know, they're they're either very tech savvy or they're just trying to learn more about, you know, the tech space. Maybe they have a dream or an aspiration to build their own. But what, what is a back end versus the front end and the most landman terms that you can?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, so I started talking about like the cloud services and, uh, you know, what we could do with the ad server. So, a, you know, a longer time ago, if you wanted to handle that, that level of scale, like you had so many customers and so many things that, that, that you had like 10 billion, you know, with a B request a day, you would need to set up your own servers and a data, you know, and a data center. Like you actually are buying the computers and you are renting space in racks that they, you know, hook up to the internet and things like that. You know, one step beyond that would be, uh, you are now renting servers in the cloud, but it's, a, it's, a, it's the virtual version of that. So you're no longer messing around with racks, but you are still setting up the computer. And then, of course, the, the, the progression goes that you no longer have to set up the entire computer. You're not worrying about the operating system or anything like that. You're just kind of loading the little s- slice of your app into it. Okay. And then so now we're talking about, okay, what's the difference between like, a back end and a front end? So a backend is the part of your code that is touching a, a database. It's the the part of your code that that is persistent and um, uh, it's the the continuity between all of your users. A front end is is much more that lives on your your whoever the users uh, it's on their computer. So if they're in a browser, that code is running on their laptop in their browser. So that's typically the, the front end. The back end is when they're talking to you and they're giving you their credit card info or they're doing something on your system that has to make decisions. Uh, you're managing their portfolio or anything like that. That's your back end. So it's usually this you know, business logic, storing information about them, doing analytics. Uh, figuring out things about your, your customers. um, That's going to be the the back end and the front end is where the the rubber meets the road. That's, that's anything that your, your customer or your user is doing. If they're interacting with a form or anything like that, that's the, that's the piece where they touch your, your application or they're interacting with you. That's always going to be the front end.
0: Well said. So why is it significant that there isn't, they're, not, they're operating without the back end. Why is that a significant piece of this uh, conversation?
1: Oh, um, so the the longer lived, um, so, so you, can, you can imagine this as, as like layers and foundations. So your back end sits on the infrastructure. So I started talking about, oh, once upon a time you needed servers in a data center. Well, you need a computer to run your, your server back end code. It's got to run something. It's got to be running 24 seven so that when someone comes to your web app, it's, it's like being served, it's, it's available. It's got to be online and connected to the internet 24 seven. So that's where like data centers come, you know, come into play. And so you can kind of imagine that again, that these layers of foundation. So you've got your data center, infrastructure, cloud servers, and then on top of that, your backend code is running. And so that's your your web servers talking to your database, um, you know, the, the analytics, business logic, stuff like that. And then, you know, that enables your front end. So if you've got a desktop app, mobile app, or like a web app, that's got to communicate to your backend so that it can store data uh, you know, permanently in, in, in a way that you control. It's not stuff that's just only locally on their phone uh, versus their, their desktop. So um, the, the lower ends of the, that stack require so much more babysitting because it's, it's running forever. And if it's running forever, more problems can happen. So on a data center level, if you're running your servers or anything like that, you have security updates. Um, And those are really complicated to to deal with. So let's just say you're running, you know, Microsoft Windows, whatever, and there's some exploit that comes out and hackers can get in and really screw with you. Well, you don't want your server to be vulnerable, so you need to apply this update. But that means that you got to shut down your server to restart it. Well, if you shut down your server to restart it, well, now anybody who's using your app gets kicked out or they can't get in. Now... You know, I don't think any of us are that unfamiliar with that. I think a lot of systems will be like, oh, sorry, we're down for maintenance. But nobody likes that. Don't do that. No, and if you want to get sure. around that, that's really complicated. You now have to run two versions of this and you have to route traffic to one while the other one's rebooting. And and that's really hard. Um, and it's just not a core competency for a lot of businesses. And so to just have right. that taken care of is huge and and now that's marching up the stack so it's going up the layers of foundation to your databases so it's not just the, the operating system and and security updates it's your database and so your database can fill up you can run out of space and if you're managing it yourself again you'd have to hire somebody really smart to make sure that oh crap our database is like full we need to stop accepting requests our users no no, no don't use our app right now we're down for maintenance and then like you move a whole bunch of stuff around, get a bigger hard drive again, you don't have to worry about that as these get mm-hmm. more managed. That's just somebody else's problem. You pay a monthly fee and you never right. ever think about it. You just concentrate on your users and marketing and, and making, making them happy.
2: Yeah. The higher level things, you know, and a lot of that that you discussed is like kind of lost art, especially with the youngins these years.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, unless they're, they're working for Amazon or, or Google or Azure or whatever.
0: But is that a good thing? Because essentially, it sounds like what you're saying is it's a little bit easier for startups to kind of get up and running a little bit faster nowadays, right? Totally. Or get oh, towards absolutely. their goals. So it's uh, it's an added Everywhere. benefit. So if someone out there listening or, or whoever has got a startup idea and it's a really good idea for a new platform and they can utilize these, these kind of pre-made or rented kind of back-end uh, infrastructures and get go. going, man. That's awesome! Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, you can think about it similar to a company like Stripe. You know, the, the in in the past, you would have had to negotiate a lot of those merchant vendor services to accept credit cards online, and now you can just use something like Stripe. You know, it's it's the same thing; they manage all the headaches for you.
2: That's right. The best teachers lead by example. Being an entrepreneur yourself, how did you get into your first startup? Was it a one hit wonder? Or did you fail many times to um, success?
1: So, uh, my first startup, so I met my co-founder at a startup. Um, so I, I met him, uh, actually originally like at like a, a series of parties. It was funny. The first time I met him, he was (laughs) telling me about Ruby on Rails and how cool it was. Uh, and then (laughs) I, (laughs) I had gone up, gone home and I was like, oh shit, this is really cool. You can build a blog in like, you know, five minutes. That was the canonical uh, demo right. for that, and um, I saw him again at a party. I was like, "Oh, thanks so much for telling me about that!" Like, I played with it; it's super cool. And he like offered me a job at at his startup. That was um, it was called Real Talk LA. It was by uh, uh, one of the founders of that was the the founder of LA Weekly. It was his new thing. Anyways, that 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 failed, but I became really good friends with um, uh, the the you know the. The CTO of that, and then we started our own uh, startup, uh, which was kind of like a cross between Pandora and and Reddit. So it was the idea was like this machine learning based, um, you know, I guess it, you know you can think about it like social media site. Um, and no, that like super failed. Um, the, the biggest problem, and what I took away from that is kind of just always have revenue. Like you you don't, don't just rely on the fact that like, oh, you're going to get big enough on users and then you can do advertising or that, you know, you're going to get big enough and then someone's going to buy you. I think for me that really drove home solve a real problem for, for people. Um, and I don't know, I think I've kind of like maybe like softened my stance on that a little bit. I think it's, it's possible to build an entertainment, you know, B2C company like that but i think you have to be much more intentional about it so that one Hmm. was was totally a a a failure um and that sort of sparked me going into the complete opposite side of of more bigger corporate companies like disney and at&t uh before i i came out and somewhere in the middle and started working with a um a much smaller leaner uh revenue based uh you know, much more arbitrage style business where I was for a while.
0: What, what are the big differences that you see in the LA tech scene versus SF? I mean, there's this big clout over the Silicon Valley, you know, the, the, I don't know if you've seen the TV series, but I thought the Silicon, um,
1: yeah. Yeah. Silicon Valley. That's the San Fernando Valley, right? Where they film. all this-
0: <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. But, you need
2: to go get yourself a pair, Ben.
0: <laughs> but what are the big you know, differences that you see, or if there are any, and I guess, are there any new cool kind of tech scenes that you see popping up?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that the biggest difference between LA and SF is it, you, you can see it in um, the billboards. Right, like you, write, you like drive around oh, LA. Yeah. What are what are our billboards for? It's not for Redis Labs. It's not like, hey, let us take over like your database management stuff. Like our billboards are like for your consideration, right? It's um, you know, our town really has its own DNA that I don't think exists in other places. Much like I think SF really wears its on its sleeve, which is these you know a lot of venture venture backed companies a lot of like like tech services things like that um enter, you know LA is the center of uh entertainment so music and tv and movies and a lot of our biggest players represent that um you know we are you know we've got a really big Netflix presence here uh, Hulu is here. So like two of the streaming ones, of course, like Disney got into the game, Disney plus. Um, so those are big, big companies here. Also Spotify has a, has a presence, um, as well. So I think that is certainly a flavor of the the tech here. Um, and then SF I, I think is, is much more kind of what I mentioned before. It's like a lot of trying to chase the, the dream of, of Facebook
2: and Google and,
1: and the unicorn
2: companies. I love your analogy about the billboards. It's so true. You know, the last time Ben and I were up there, it was like Oracle, Apple, the new iPhone's coming out, get ready. You know, it's like, you, you'll never see that in Los Angeles. What is it like being the VP of engineering at Outlier? And what are some of the big problems you've had to solve building out a large platform like this? Um, what's it like? Um,
1: I mean, overall, it's like pretty awesome. Um, you know, there, there's definitely something cool about working, working with a team that's done it before. So Masterclass, uh, Okay, so, so the, the, the founder of, let me back up, the founder of, okay, <laughs> I'll back up even further. Outlier um, is, its mission is to eliminate student debt by redefining higher education. So, a lot of people are saddled by student debt because of college, things like that. College itself, um, <laughs> the idea that, that, that. College education is a solved problem. It's like, oh, we did it. Mission accomplished. Like uh, a professor standing up in a lecture hall and you having a hardcover like paper textbook.
0: That's the pinnacle of education. Oh, written by them, right? Written by them (laughs) so they make money and then you resell it back and you get a quarter of it. Yeah, you can, you know, no thanks. No thanks. Anyway, sorry, I had to put that in there. No, totally. (laughs)
2: And
1: the the idea that it's like, yep, nailed it. That's the best we're ever going to do perfect like that's that's kind of laughable like and if and if you have any kind of technical entrepreneurial problem-solving mind you would agree that it's like wait no that doesn't that doesn't make sense wait your education is going to be based on just like geographically where you go to school like if you're just in like one of these thousands thousands of school like the quality is just how good your professor happens to be that day trying to teach this live or like how good that that textbook is it's like no that's not how you solve problems in tech like you find out like okay who are the best professors you okay we'll record it and then you iterate you figure out using feedback and analytics like okay this is working this isn't working and you 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 refine the product it's not like google reinventing gmail okay they maybe do that a little too much but it's not like <laughs> that they yeah, that they're like rebuilding gmail from scratch every day Day and then right. there's like you know depending on whatever your location is you just happen to have like oh it's this engineer like what they built today so all right so off the the soapbox of education so that's what Outlier is doing it's 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 dramatically increasing the the quality of education. A lot of the production quality and and techniques that they they've defined at MasterClass, um, but really also combined with a lot of the the science and research on uh, education, um, and dramatically lowering the the cost. Right? You compare the cost of of. Uh, attending a, a you know a university or something like that with just like four hundred dollars for uh, you know a calculus or psychology course it's just it's like unbelievable so that's that's their mission. Can so, I interject yeah, real quick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah.
0: is it if I'm a student and I want to utilize Outlier? Can I take a class from? Is it does it work like you can take a class from a certain university and then another one from a from a different one or is it? Oh, how, how does it yeah, work? So,
1: right. So. So Outlier we have our own courses that we've developed. So we've gotten the mm. professors, we've developed uh. our own curriculum and s- syllabus. Okay. We've effectively built our own textbook. Like it's in it's not a textbook. It's like it's interactive, active learning with the quizzes and the practice problems all built in and everything like that. So it's it, it's much more vertically integrated. Um, so the courses are ours. However, we have a partnership with the University of Pittsburgh and so when you take our courses you are getting credit from the university of pittsburgh ah. which effectively transfers anywhere in the country and, and outside the country for that for that matter
2: such mm. a novel idea what a twist on this so they get they accrue real educational credit today. yeah yeah, Who yeah would so have ever thought <laughs> yeah that's so a, if you, that's is, incredible
1: yeah, yeah so if you happen to be a student and you wanted to like graduate early because your tuition is however many 10,000s of dollars a a semester, um, you would be able to just take a a slate of classes at outlier and transfer those in. And then you just, you'd, you'd save Mm. yourself a ton of money.
2: Wonderful. I'm going to go sign up after this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So what are the, what are some of the big problems that you've got? So, you know, anyone wanting to build a, they let me rewind it back like you have um someone wants to build a platform they're like yeah i'm going to do the next big unicorn idea they don't really realize the process and that we're trying to bring awareness by interviewing kind of incredible people such as yourself. And, you know, we've built some cool things and, you know, we also have a YouTube channel and we kind of touch on various points of the startup process of e-commerce, like how to, just how to build better things and how to understand the process from the nitty gritty. So if someone, you know, like yourself, you're, you're working with a current platform, what are some of the problems you've kind of run into and, and how have you guys gone about solving them or, or currently solving whatever problems you're, you're facing today?
1: Okay, so one of the biggest problems that Outlier faced um, is something that I think is going to uh, affect a lot of, founders. Um, A lot of founders, what they might do is they might raise seed capital and they will approach a dev shop to build out their MVP. Um, if If this goes poorly, you can wind up with something that is really expensive and doesn't actually solve any problems for your customer or doesn't doesn't really do what you set out to do. Over Um, and over
2: again, we see this.
1: Yeah. Um, And so I actually um, came into Outlier at that stage. So Outlier's initial platform was um, built by a dev shop, and it wasn't particularly great. So the biggest problem that I faced was coming in pretty close to the launch of Outlier and having to make sure that we could get it in shape to the point that it would be that it would work for our students, and that it was a good experience, and they would have good educational outcomes.
2: Um, Can you give us a couple examples of how you steer the ship?
1: Yeah. So often, so often in situations like that, um, someone. Okay, so from the founder's perspective, perspective, often what would happen if you wound up in a situation like that? So you, you, you paid uh, a dev shop a bunch of money, you finally get fed up with trying to get their you know engineers to fix things because there's always some idiot project manager in the middle who doesn't know anything. So every time you talk to them, they're like, oh, well, let me get back to you on that. And then you always lose weeks and it winds up being crazy expensive. So you finally get to the point, you're like, okay, enough with you, we're done here. And then you now, if you're under the gun, you kind of don't have enough time to hire another, well, to hire individuals to build your own team or to find a CTO or anything like that. Right. And so often you you shop around to other dev shops, and almost always what you hear is like, oh no, no, we gotta rebuild this from scratch. This is horrible. We gotta, <laughs> we gotta start over. And so I guess where I'm going with that is that's like rarely the answer. If you are on any kind of timeline. You really do need to figure out what you can salvage. And so that, so if you want like a, like a, like a real world example of how I did that, um, it you have to make painful choices. You have to realize like, okay, what can you hold your nose with and is going to be serviceable for, for a little while? And so um, they used like a really old uh, CMS. So it's like a CMS that's not even really popular anymore. Um, sorry for any Drupal fans out there, but not only that, they use like an older version of the CMS for like no real reason, I guess, just cause they were familiar with it or they could copy paste another project that they had done in, in the past or something like that. And as much as I wanted to just nuke it, that was a lot of, um, a lot of how our site was running. And I, I didn't want to rebuild yeah. an entire CMS that's kind of a, a tall order or even moving to another one. They, they had a lot of custom functionality in there. And so trying to rebuild all of that would, would, have, that would have just eaten up all of our time. And so what, what I did instead was I just tried to sequester it. And so what I mean by that is instead of having Drupal actually serve our site, um, and so everything was like kind of this monolith of everything going to Drupal. And so Drupal was like, no, this is horrible. Uh, I'm going to take this and just set it off on its own little Island and nobody is going to interact with it. No user is going to interact with it directly, but it still became, it was still where the content editors and uh, our admins were going to work. And then I just set up a separate system that would, uh, grab all of the, the data from that and then transform it a bit and put it in a way that was available to the the new front end. so kind of what i did is I, i split it all up isolated the part that was hideous and horrible and just tried to kind of yeah basically isolate and then create new parts and so yeah walled off the old or the the crappy dangerous part and then built outside the wall until the, I think I guess it's called like the strangle pattern. And then so, and then, yeah. And then, and then eventually we were able to build up a parallel CMS, do the transfer and then shut off the, the, the old one. Maybe that was
2: too technical. Such sage advice. And you know, this design pattern, it works for so many things, not even just software.
0: Mm. So were they trying to bootstrap, when you first got there, and it was kind of in this failed state, were they trying to bootstrap and and kind of get it to a point where they could raise more money, or was it a case where they had funding or just had enough money themselves to to build the platform out? Yeah. Great question.
1: Yeah, they had they 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 um they had they they had enough capital to, uh, build out launch. the MVP to get to the to get to the launch.
0: Um, point yeah. being here. Um, Sorry to interrupt, but just so you could you could go off on your ideas with this. But so many people have an idea, aren't tech savvy, get a, you know, CTO or whatever, and, and maybe they can't really build out the full platform. So they talk to some people maybe some potential investors angel investors yeah if you build this out we'll fund it to this so there's a lot of people that go about building a platform out so they get to an mvp state so that they can raise more money and you're relying solely on this dev shop to you know build out your idea or whatever because you don't really have the capabilities um this is Something kind of we've had to deal with a lot, uh, and individuals come to us with this problem. I, I was just wondering with Outlier if you know if they had their own funding, if uh, they were taking this strategy. It's, it's something a lot of people get sucked into, and I just I guess proper strategy of going about something. You know, like you said before, going about it with intent, with the focus of of building something out with with actual a, a proper structure, infrastructure um, versus relying on these, on these potential catastrophic events to to take place. So,
1: yeah, so I can, I can talk, yeah, so I can talk a little bit about that. So outlier of course had a huge advantage. You know, if you, if you are a serial successful founder with, um, you know, really successful startups behind you, you are not really going to be in a position where you can't capitalize your, your ideas. You know, you're going to be in a really fortunate position where people are like, oh, wow, all those investors in the past that gave you money are now ludicrously wealthy. Yeah, here, have some money. Um, So that's kind of a a separate case. Um, In... If I were to st- talk to anybody who's who's now thinking about like okay I got this awesome idea for a product, I've got investors who would give me money if I showed them an MVP, so let me start building the the MVP. I would say what investors really want to see is is effectively users and demand. And I would I would skip building the real product. I would concentrate on maybe building out the proof of concept. So like, you know, showing off like what it could be. So it's almost like the facade, you know, special effects. It's like a set or a prop. Create
2: a video. Exactly.
1: Yeah, cr- exactly. Create a video. Like it doesn't actually have to work. A and then sizzle. Te- te- yeah. Si- sizzle, tease it behind like beta, sign up to the mailing list and iterate on that video, those fake things to really get a sense of what's driving sign ups, the list this the 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 interest and then once you've got like if you've got a mailing list of like 10,000 people and are like, oh my god like you know I'll do anything to to get this product like move me to the top of the list show that to an investor and I'm like, oh yeah fuck yeah build this like or just do a
0: back. or just do a reggae crowdfunding and just you know launch it kind of bootstrapped you know yeah or that
1: too yeah. But what's, what's interesting about if you go in, in the direction that I just mentioned, where you're, Mm -hmm. I I think it probably feels maybe like disingenuous, like you're trying, you're like selling software that doesn't really exist. And you certainly do need to be careful Mm -hmm. that you are not... You're not kind of showing something that couldn't really happen. You know, yes. you could you could probably get yourself into trouble by by showing this video that's like, oh, and then the AI like magically figures out what you're thinking and then it just does it for you. And then, you know, the, your video shows that happening, but you have no concept of how that could work, you know, in reality. Um, you know, I would stick to things that other companies have have proven possible or at least assembling the parts of things that you know can be done but as long as you're you're doing that there's a really big advantage which is that your users you're going to be able Mm. to figure out what their actual demand is and you're not going to wind up building a product that no one's really going to use you can you can have that it's almost like a dialogue between your users to figure out what is important and what features you actually need to build and then when you actually go to a dev shop you can show them these videos that they can emulate much more clearly than you would be able Amen. to do otherwise.
0: Yeah. Don't be like Theranos, right?
2: <laughs> Carrying on that topic. Uh, this is a little bit of a loaded question, but outsourcing engineers versus building tight knit in-house teams. What strategy are you taking and why? Oh, um, <laughs>
1: well, uh, so superstructs, uh, effectively builds remote teams for for companies um solid ones at that yeah i i i think it it, it's tough um to to make that decision if you if you are under a tight like a tight deadline and you really want people who have done it before to get going quickly engineers who have worked together already uh proficient, they've already built something similar to what you want, a, a dev shop or, or an agency is gonna be able to get you much farther more quickly. If you're trying to recruit your own team, you're kind of doing it one at a time. You have to understand how to manage them. Um, there's a lot more um, at play. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot more involved and, and they're gonna be learning and they're gonna be growing. Um, The 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 difference is with a dev shop, you're never going to have the you're never going to capture the upside as those engineers are learning about your product, your company um, as they're growing. You know, people aren't static; they get more and more proficient. That's not any value that you're going to capture. You're you're in some ways you are investing in a company um, and a and a business owner. That's that's not you. Um, When you have your own team, it kind of works the other way. Uh, right. You're going to be starting a lot slower, but all of that, all of that value and all of that effort is going into your piggy bank. So it's your documentation that's getting built. It's your engineering culture that's getting built. And and most importantly, it's the institutional knowledge is staying with you. Um, as I, you know, I kind of mentioned before, like that dev shop death, death spiral, where if, if they aren't working out um, and they're, you know, they, they, you, you had enough of them. You wind up in this situation where another dev shop's like, no, all their stuff's like crap, we can't work on it. You know, they're gone. We can't talk to them. You know, we have to start, we have to start over. And um, that's that's largely because you've lost all your institutional knowledge. Like there's no there's no carryover. If you have an engineer that's not working out or they they leave to go do something else or they get hit by a bus, like God forbid, like you have all of the other engineers, <laughs> and when you bring in another engineer, like they can skill up very quickly because they can they can work with the rest of the rest of the team and so there's there's advantages to to both Um, you get a lot of speed um, you can get going really quickly but I think you you cap out how much value you get over the long term versus uh, building up your own team
0: man you must uh, you've probably managed quite a bit of engineers over your lifetime huh I mean they all seem to have Various personality types, and I guess with the startup scene and entrepreneurialism, if you will, kind of exploding over the past decade, you know, what would you give to a newly funded, you know, advice-wise? What would you give a newly funded startup trying to hire their first dev team, you know, and bring bring the company to life? Are there certain red flags you look for when in the hiring process or putting together a team and what's a what's a really good strategy that you found putting putting together a a well-balanced team that uh, gets the job done
1: yeah i mean so if we're talking about individual engineers so if you're you're interviewing like an individual engineer like what are you what are you looking for um you know you 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 (laughs) like Motivation and enthusiasm uh, count for a lot. Um, if somebody's really excited about the problem um, that you're trying to solve, uh, that's a really, really good sign. Um, I think there, you know, there's this phrase where it's totally. like, don't fall in love with the solution, fall in love with the problem. Um, if you can find engineers who really are into what you're trying to do as a, as a business, they really like the problem space. Um, that's a really good sign because it means that they're going to be, they're going to be, it's like, they're going to be, their brain can't help it, but they're, they're going to be trying to like pick apart that problem. Like while they sleep, they're going to, they're going to live it. Um, they're going (laughs) to be into it. They're going to come up with, with really good solutions for your, your customers. Um, things that are, yeah, things that are like, Bad signs um, or like red flags, uh, you really don't want, and I, I don't know, maybe this is like cliche to the point of meaningless, but like you don't want toxic personalities like on your team. Like it doesn't matter how smart they are or like if they wrote the book on it or anything like that. If, if they, like, if they are an energy vampire to, like, you or the people around them, like, if you can feel that, like, oh, after I had a conversation with this th- this person, I feel worse. Like, no, don't, it's not worth it. That's, <laughs> like, that's not something that you can afford to, to pay in. You can't afford to pay Good with your life. energy. Yeah. Um, so I would really, really advise never being in the position where you can rationalize something to yourself where it's like, well, they're kind of a dick and, you know, they're an asshole, but shit, they're really smart. Or like they know about this. I wouldn't, I don't know, maybe as a contractor or something, but don't, don't make them a part of your team.
2: What are some of the best attributes you see in software engineers? You know, besides being obsessed with the problem.
1: Yeah. Um, a lot. Yeah. I mean, like, I say this a lot, you know, the, the, like my podcast, Junior to Senior, I, I interview a lot of CTOs and awesome people like uh, yourself, Keith. And the thing <laughs> okay. that comes up a lot is, is communication. Um, mm. And, you know I feel like that's a lot it's like kind of fuzzy um, for a lot of people it's like, well, what are you talking about? We talk all day that's communicate I'm great I'm great at communication. I'm talking to you right now um, but the truth is like a lot of engineers um, that's not their strong suit that's not what they want to put a lot of um, effort into and
2: yeah
1: you know it, it, these axes don't really work this way but if you have an engineer who's like amazing technically but not great and communication, that's not going to serve you nearly as well as somebody who's like less good uh, on the technical, but is really a really good communicator because the, 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 it's kind of what we were talking about a little bit before we're running in the wrong direction is often worse than standing still and uh engineers who are really technically competent but horrible at communication are not going to understand the problem space nearly as well they're not going to be able to communicate what they're doing to get like stopped or or they're going to miss like key things and it's going to be really hard to undo it once the 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 concrete and steel is laid down
2: would you say sometimes it's our job as the leader to kind of pry into some of these introverts just a little bit, not necessarily make them uncomfortable, but really just kind of like open their perspective and their ability to communicate, kind of by like uh, if you will, you know, training over time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't I think a lot of introverts aren't
1: really across the board introverts. And so you as a leader Really, do have the power to find the thing that that makes them light up, and that you can talk to them about, and you can yeah. get them in the habit yeah. of uh, communicating with you. I don't really think that that um, uh, that introversion, extroversion, or that that shyness is really so one dimensional, like where you have it or you don't. I think it it's kind of situational, it, it right? Yes, it varies
0: do you do you think that like movies and tv shows get the typical engineer correct the persona or do you i mean do you see very you know a very different view of engineers because i have my own opinion but That's you know question, i want to i want to I wanna see what your thoughts are because you you seem to deal with quite a few of them yourself so um
1: I mean, the truth is, like, nobody on TV is going to match
2: <laughs> to
1: most people in real life. Like, most people yeah. in real life are just not being that entertaining and dramatic to warrant screen time. Especially um, engineers. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Especially. yeah. So, like, if you see, like, an engineer on, you know, TV or in a movie or, like, in media, you have to recognize that they're being caricaturized is that a word yeah point that they're they're entertaining so that's kind of a lame answer um but the the you know i think i think there is there is something to it i've certainly met and and (laughs) worked with a ton of engineers that that really do have those those elements they're gonna be a little bit out of touch they're gonna be awkward humor they're gonna do all of that but i really don't think that engineers have a monopoly on any of that stuff
0: no for sure yeah that's for yeah, sure.
2: Very well put.
0: You know, I've noticed we do something here at uh, Dimension Software. We we like to do demo days on uh, Thursday afternoons or Friday afternoons. And now with COVID, it's like crack a beer open together or two. And you really kind of see the personality shine through um, these individuals who can sometimes be quite quiet and very, you know, as we've said, introverted um, in their own way, because I feel like you know, as you said, there's there's levels to introversion. Uh, I, personally, I'm pretty introverted actually, especially when it comes to being on camera and behind a mic. It's something why we started this podcast, and we we you know for myself. Well, <laughs> it is. I've worked really hard at this, but uh, I get I used to get very very nervous before guests and talking with people on this level, like with lights and cameras and things like this. When it's just me at a bar, I can go for. But, you know, in reality with this, it's it's uh, it can be quite nerve wracking when you start. So um, is there do you do you kind of implement that with the teams that you manage? Do you guys have some fun kind of creative ways that you do team bonding or, or ways to kind of break the mold and, and get uh, more out of the person, whether it be either, you know, operationally or just um, just closer.
1: Yeah, I mean, I. I think um I mean, yeah, you you mentioned the uh the, the beer. Um so JSLA, the you know, the big JavaScript event that that I run back when it was in person. Uh that was pretty interesting. You know, some people I think had uh problems with there being a focus on alcohol. The the idea that we would have free beer at our events and then afterwards we would have drinks JS and go out to bars. Um, people didn't really like the focus on on alcohol. And really, I, that's why I yeah. showed up. <laughs> and I uh, could never imagine uh, taking that away because I know, I know how important it was to so many of the members to to lower their inhibitions to the point that they yes. could they could talk to people and they could get to the point where way they could really connect and make friends and to, to remove that or to pretend like that's not helpful for people, I think just wouldn't, wouldn't have been, Hmm. wouldn't have been right. Um, and so, like that just became a tool. And so I do understand some people have a hard time with alcohol or they don't, they don't like all the things that it's associated with, but I think there's, there's a lot of good that can come from it. And I don't know, maybe in the future, there will be something that, that doesn't have all of the ills of alcohol and has all of the benefits. And maybe that would be, that would be nice. But, um, I do think something like that's important. Now you're specifically talking about team building. Um, and you know, one of the things that, that. I think I focus on with my teams is, um, fostering a culture of, of excellence and, and less about, um, being buddy, buddy friends. Like I really do think that trust is important. Um, and I think, I think that working relationship and being able to rely on, on people, but because these teams are so remote and so distributed, like I don't, I don't make a big point of trying to emulate, uh, real world, uh, not real world, but like in-person friendships. Like I don't mm-hmm. try to do like an analog of that. Um, yeah. I, and, and so we don't actually have anything that is like a, um, uh, you know, hang out with beers on camera or anything like that. Um, one, one thing that you can do that I think is pretty, pretty, uh, good and sort of in line with that, that culture of excellence is that you can push people to do, um, like talks, you know, or like this effectively like show and tell where, where someone does take the stage and does, you know, like kind of like the equivalent of like a JSLA talk or like a meetup talk Mm -hmm. showing off something that they've done and why. And a lot of the personality can come out through the way that they (laughs) do that. And then that also encourages other people on the team to be like, oh, wow, this Indeed. person's awesome. Uh, they really know their shit. And it makes them also much more approachable. <laughs> or they <right>? suck. <laughs> uh, or they suck. But it can make them very, very approachable. Um, you probably realize this running a podcast. But if somebody's Thanks, listened to you over for a longer period of time, they, they – they feel like they know you and they can, they can talk to you. They're, they're much more comfortable with you. And so having that, that experience where, Mm -hmm. where you have team members watching other team members give talks, it it can really accelerate that, that feeling of trust and, um, connectedness.
2: You're very observant on a deep level and Mr. David Gutman on that, what is next in store for you?
1: What is next in store for me? I think it's, I'm going to keep these plates spinning. Um, you know, uh, Grow, grow Outlier, uh, help more companies build awesome engineering teams, and make sure that uh, the JSLA community stays strong as we continue to hold it online and, and remote,
0: maybe even grow beyond Los Angeles. Who knows? That's awesome, man. So before we let you go, uh, we always like to leave our listeners with a last bit of wisdom, piece of advice. So take yourself back maybe 10, 15, 20 years, whenever your journey started and if you were to be able to talk to that young David, you know, the things that you've learned throughout your journey so far, what's, what's one or two pieces of advice that, uh, really stick out that you wish you could have told yourself then either like not to worry about or, or to dive deeper in this area or that area of your life. And, uh, and what, what would you tell young David right now?
1: Man, it's like, I know, it's like, it's just, I know it wouldn't help, but it's kind of like, it gets easier, you know, it's like things that you think are a huge problem right now, like whatever's, whatever's making you the most anxious or that you're most worried about, like, you know, chances are, you're, you know, you're going to forget about that. Um, In terms of paying attention to, I think I've done a pretty good job with this, but I would, I would make it clear that, you know, just as long as you're being helpful to people, as, as long as you're going out of your way to to understand what people need, what they want, uh, what would make their life better. And you do what's in your power to to provide that for them, you know, when you can, um, it all it all comes back in, in spades like you, you that's the biggest way to 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 grow.
0: Beautiful. So where can people find you on social media? You've got a podcast, shout that out. What's it called and where can they buy your books if they're interested in software engineering?
1: Yeah, cool. Yeah. So, um, junior to senior is my podcast, junior to senior.io. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, Twitter uh it's just David Gutman my my full name uh if you're interested in my books full stack react or full stack node my publisher is newline so newline.co um and yeah superstruct.tech that's uh that's my company
0: He heard the call and took action David thanks for coming on our show man we appreciate you wish you all the best this upcoming year get better at Valorant and maybe jump into the Call of Duty we'll play a little <laughs> bit and uh, welcome to the CTAP family my man
2: that sounds so good thank you <gasps>